This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, Geekscapists? Welcome to a brand new Geekscape episode. I'm Jonathan London, your host. In each Geekscape, I like to sit down with storytellers, usually from the uh, worlds of movies, video games, comic books, TV, pop culture, and talk about the stories they tell. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode with RKSS Films. Their movie, Summer of 84, is in theaters right now. And I've got another horror-themed episode. This one, um, also pre-recorded. I recorded this one, though, I think back in April. Uh, when they had the press junket. I don't like doing press junkets. I don't like doing roundtable interviews. It's something uh, I haven't I, I, something I haven't done in years, where you go and you sit down and every, uh, all the different outlets put their tape recorders down and you go round robin answer, like asking questions of the the guests. Um, and I was asked to do a press junket for Outcast, which is a horror series. On Cinemax, and I love Outcast. It's um, based on the Robert Kirkman comic, which uh, I read, and uh, the artwork in the comic is pretty amazing. It's done by a guy named Paul Azaceta, and uh, I think Paul has been on an early, early, early Geekscape, um, but huge success with Outcast. It's an incredible book. Uh, if you're a horror fan, definitely you should be reading it, and. Um, and the series is pretty awesome. So, season two uh, hit this summer. I was supposed to put this episode up earlier. But Comic-Con happened. Traveling happened. And I had this cold. I've been fighting this cold this week. Uh, I was going to put this episode up earlier this week. But, you know what? I've got another horror-themed episode coming at you guys next week. Uh, so, uh, you guys are getting it now. Uh, <coughs> I do not like being sick. It's not fun. And summer colds are the worst, because uh, you see like the sun shining outside, and everything's looking green and healthy and vibrant, and inside you're just feeling like you're melting. Um, but we push on through here at Geekscape, as we've done um, over 12 years, and uh, we're going to keep going. So 
Uh, here is Patrick Fugit, who um, you guys may know him from Almost Famous. That's where he kind of hit the scene. Um, I'm a fan of Patrick Fugit's. I think Outcast is his best role. I think the show is really awesome. It's layered. And so uh, I got to sit down with both Patrick and showrunner Chris Black, who I hadn't met, but Chris and I have become friends since this interview and have sat down for coffee and talked about writing and stuff. He's a good person to know, and you actually hear us meet on this episode. Um, but again, I don't like doing roundtable interviews, so when I wrote, I wrote back and said, hey, that's kind of not the show that we do here at Geekscape. Is there any chance I can get uh, Patrick or Chris or both for... 40, 45 minutes uh, at least, and they were nice enough to say absolutely. And so I went, we sat down at a hotel, um, and they pulled them away from their roundtable interviews long enough to, in uh, on-camera interviews, long enough to sit down with me, and you're going to hear that. So thank you so much for supporting Geekscape. We have some amazing stuff going on. I, I'm kind of trying to figure out what we're going to do with Geekscape 500, which is coming up in less than 10 episodes. Um, and I've got some ideas i got to put them into motion because I'm running out of weeks. Uh, but there is so much going on. Uh, love you guys. Thank you for the support. Enjoy this episode. And for sure, if you've got Cinemax, and even if you don't have Cinemax, find a way to get it. Watch Outcast because it's a fantastic series. Season 1 was incredible. Season 2, from what I've seen, is amazing. I watched a couple episodes. This is a really quality uh, series. So really, 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 not just you horror fans. It's a great series. Enjoy it. Uh, and here's my conversation with showrunner Chris Black and star Patrick Fugit. Geekscapist, I'm sitting here with Patrick Fugit and Chris Black. I pronounced your name right, didn't I? You did. Pa- Patrick, like, how many times did they, like, botch your name? Uh, since, for, like, since kindergarten. Many, 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 many times. Really? Like every teacher in high school, yes. When I'm guessing that, like, once you got to high school, the botching of your name was intentional in, like, a horrible way. <laughs> there, well, the, yeah, from the other kids. <laughs> there was one gym teacher that would say my name wrong every class roll call. Uh-huh. And he and all the jocks thought it was just the best thing ever. It was, like, the best idea to them. And I was like, you know... I, I actually, yeah, I was like, I actually don't like this. <laughs> and so one day, I remember the one that set me over the edge um, was he was like, uh, he got to my name and he's like, uh, Frugal, uh, Patrick Frugal here. And I was like, that's it. And I stood up, can I swear on this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know what? Fuck you, Woody. And Woody was a nickname that was going around based on like pretty shady allegations. And that was a teacher? It was a teacher. Yeah. He was a gym teacher. And the whole thing was kids thought he was putting mirrors on his toes to Ooh. look up the girl's skirts. And yeah. then he would get a Woody. And so we would all call him Woody. <laughs> and he heard about it and was so mad. And so I was like, fuck you, Woody. And he was like, <gasps> and everybody in the call, everybody was like, oh, what's going on? And I got sent to the it's principals and everything. Yeah, I think that, that there's always that moral, that creepy moral ambiguity that happens. And in, oh yeah, it, it's like I had a teacher that would come up behind girls who were taking tests, and like just make sure they weren't cheating. Yeah, and it was just creepy because you just linger, yeah. like yeah, no thanks. Um, are you copying? So, so <laughs> Geeks Game is Chris and Patrick are talking to me about Outcast, which is a show that. Uh, oh yeah, that's they, they, Chris. <laughs> well, we're about to start talking about, about uh, uh, season two is about to premiere on Cinemax, and um, and I've raved before on the show about season one. I think it's awesome. I thought 
the pilot is probably my favorite thing that Adam Wingard's directed. No slight against Adam in any way. But that pilot's pretty awesome. <laughs> that pilot's pretty awesome. And Thank I think you, it is. Before that, I raved about the comic from uh, Robert Kirkman and Paul. This is a name I will but butcher, even though he has been on the show, Azaceta. Azaceta, yeah. Oh, I nailed it. Yeah. I think I pretty much nailed it. Yep. Um, so I, I remember raving about the comic. I think it was awesome when it turned into a show. I think yeah. this casting is awesome, Patrick. <laughs> and I think the casting all around is is pretty great. Um, were you on the show from the beginning, Chris? Like, uh, I, I wasn't on the show from the very beginning. I, uh, I, I guess I, I was on it when it became a show. I was, uh, I was sent Robert's pilot script. The script, he had written the script. It was set up at Cinemax but not yet greenlit to either to pilot or to series. And so they were looking, uh, Robert had written it, but wasn't going to run the show. So they were looking for a producer to come in and work with Robert uh, to develop the show Bible and uh, hopefully go on and, and run the show once it was, once it was greenlit. So I, they sent me the script, my agent sent me the script, and I just thought it was fantastic. I mean, I responded to it the same way you did. I thought it was one of the best pilot hour television that I'd ever read. Um, and I called my agents and said, I, I don't know... If, if I even have a shot at getting the show, but if you can just get me in the room with this guy, um, you know, I think this is great. And so I, I took the meeting with Robert. I sat down. We had lunch and talked about the show. He's just great. You know, we, we hit it off. Uh, and I wound up coming on board at that point, helping him. And when I say helping him, he sort of, he knew what it was. I mean, he was already writing the comics. You know, he had written the pilot episode. He had a, a sort of series bible uh, and a synopsis of, of roughly the first season all worked out in his head but I sat down with him we worked together helped to give it a little bit of a shape to pitch to Cinemax address some of Cinemax's very modest concerns about things they wanted to see in the show and then I was there from that point forward you know was there with work you know during casting you know working you know uh, with Patrick and Phil and Ren and everyone that came in uh, and then with Adam during the pilot process, and then you know, rallying the writers to start writing the first season. And uh, the for Geekscapists who are reading the comic, I still suggest absolutely uh, watching the show because it deviates in a few uh, places. Obviously, the the cast of characters widens a bit mm-hmm. on the show, and then. There are again. We started the show talking about some moral ambiguities, but there, it, it it's not just a show about possession. There's uh, a show about a community, and mm-hmm. some of the things that tear at the community are themes of like rape and loyalty and faith and all these things that I think the situation that is like the supernatural situation just exa- like exacerbates that stuff. It, yes, it, I mean you've hit on it, but exactly. you don't shy away from like like the episode four or five in season one. Where the, compl- the the contemplation of a murder based on a past crime, right? Yeah. It throws the, the second half of the uh, it propels the second half of that season, but it's it's incredible writing. Yeah, well, episode four of season one was is one of my favorite episodes of the of the whole run of the show thus far. Is in what you said is absolutely true, and it was when when we first sat down. And started working on it, and and I would have conversations with the writers. What Robert had always said was, this show needs to be a character-driven, small-town ensemble drama first, and a horror show second. 
If it doesn't work from a character point of view, then you know you can have all the goo monsters in the world that you want, and no yeah. one's going to invest in the show. And so we always approach the storytelling from that point of view. And the storyline you're talking about, which was about Megan's childhood abuser coming to town, um, to me is the shining example of that, which was we hopefully lead the audience to believe that this guy could be one of these possessed entities. And at the end of the day, you realize, no, he's just a garden variety rapist asshole. Yeah. Uh, and that evil can just as easily, perhaps even more easily, come from a human place than a supernatural place. And there's, I, I think, virtually no supernatural component in that episode at all. Mm-hmm. It's all about Megan confronting her past. Uh-huh. And Ren's performance in it is absolutely powerhouse. Uh-huh. In the, I think it's the end of episode four where she's smashing the glasses into the hand. Oh, I love that. So <laughs> great. Which came actually from a real story. One of the writers in the room had talked about in her teenage years, that's how she would work out her frustrations. He's smashing it. Sm- going out in the woods beyond her house and smashing all the, the glasses that she had bought at the Salvation Army. Awesome. You know? <laughs> and we were like, as soon as she said it in the writer's room, we were like, we're putting that in the show. There are smash rooms now. Like, you can rent yeah. a smash room to, like, Bananas. deal with your anger or frustrations or whatever and just bring in whatever you want or buy stuff there and right. just smash the hell out of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, it, it was, and it was just beautifully shot and, yeah. and Ren's intensity in it. It's like, it's just, and the music was right. The it's, music, it's yeah. Just, so it's, good. It's just great. And, yeah, well, how much of the visual style is educated by Paul's artwork? Because what I love about the show as a director is just the off-centered shots you guys don't care about 180-degree rule. You guys are sitting there, and you're placing cameras in some pretty interesting places. You're picking up on some really great details, and that way you're adding this slow burn in a way that this show focuses on the rusty nail you're about to step on right. rather than on the entire rotting house. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And, and, and that focus on the rot, on the, like, that rusty nail is what gives the show this tone and color to it that is really... Sometimes I have to watch the show through my hands, well, <laughs> through my fingers. Well, uh, thank you, because it is about building tension, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, tension, as you well know as a filmmaker, is, is, is not about what you see, it's about what you don't see. It's about mm-hmm. what lies beyond the edge of the train. Um, and the visual style... Cinemax was incredibly supportive about... More than supportive, it was almost a mandate from them that they wanted uh, movies. That they did, sure. they did not want this to look like a television show. Yeah. They wanted it to look like a little indie feature every week, and it drove a lot of the choices we made in directors. We got some great, you know, you know, Adam Wingard obviously came in, directed the pilot. Other filmmakers, you know, Ty West, Lee Janiak, people like that who had that kind of indie horror cred. You know, coming in to direct the show. Lonnie. Uh, Lonnie Peristeer did a great job, directed, I think, three or four episodes for us. Um, the, um, in terms of Paul's art, it, very much the template was set in the pilot. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that Adam and David Tattersall, who shot it, looked to the comics as, it wasn't like they were copying the images. But I think, and I can't speak for Adam, but I, I, I think it was really driven in the conversations that I had with them by uh, the aesthetic of composition and framing mm-hmm. more than camera movement. And yeah. it's like, you'll see there's no, uh, and I think he was a big fan of David Fincher's, you know, and it's a lot of, the camera was always on a dolly or, you know, e- either, you know, um, lockdown or on tracks. 
there's only two handheld sequences in the whole pilot, which are the possession sequences. I think I found one in the first three episodes of season yeah. two. Um, and yeah. it was all about, it was not about quick cutting. It was not about camera movement. It was not, it was, it was about what are you seeing in the frame. Right. And letting and I, I found it incredibly liberating letting those long shots just play. And, it, it and you talk about the tension. That's, yeah, as an audience member, you're looking for things. You're seeing where the things coming yeah. from. Like, what, am, what? Where's the detail that you guys are hiding in here right. somewhere in the blacks? There's a shot in the first season when the Reverend first comes to see Mildred Grace Zabriskie's character in her house, and they're sitting there having this conversation, and she reveals to him who she really is. And it's, in my recollection, there might be one cut in it, but in my recollection, it's all one take. Where yeah. it starts is this wide shot, and it's just, the whole scene is just a slow creep in on the two of them as she's talking to him, and he slowly comes to the realization that she's not his God-fearing parishioner. She's one of these things. Right. You know? Cool. And it's great. And you're just waiting for it, and what's so tense about that scene is you're waiting for the cut, and it never comes. Right. It's yeah. like it's just it's like it's just the tension just builds and builds. And, and the air is coming out of the room as you get tired. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I love the story of um, it's in season two. You get into more of this idea that um, Patrick's character Kyle, uh, you know, who is the only you seem to be the only person who can grab someone who's been possessed and begin to exercise them if they're not too far gone. And Geekscape is if you haven't tried this, the show out, just get on whatever uh, VOD platform is currently playing it. I think these are on Hulu, I believe. I don't know what I'm not the sure if they're on Hulu. They are on iTunes. If they're on iTunes. The whole like, first season is on Watch iTunes. the pilot in this scene with a child, and you're going to be climbing the walls because it's, it's such an incredible sequence. Um, and then you'll be set for the series because I, I, every episode has uh, stuff like that. So uh, you mentioned Fincher, who's a director you've actually worked with, Patrick. You were in yeah. Gone Girl. Um, when you have directors like Fincher or Cameron Crowe, these, these people who, you know, are very, I mean, I don't, I don't know. You, you know more than me, but on set, they're, probably, they, they're very focused and they take their time to get what they want. Um, how's the pace of television from a performing out? Like, how big of a shift was that? You know, it's it's interesting because, like Chris said, Cinemax was intended completely on on having ten hours of feature film production value, and where you would have you know over a month to create you know ninety minutes of content for a film. You have eight days to create. 60 minutes of content right. at, at the same production value. So you guys do keep the cable eight day schedules. Well, I think on it was more hour. than I was like, was it eight or it was it was plus we would have an overlap day. We had a yeah. second unit okay. day, so it was it was. Yeah. And it's been a while now. I don't remember. It was nine. <laughs> or, it was it was effectively nine or ten. Right. That was yeah. by cheating. Uh, what was supposed to be a second unit. So it's a, day a day so it's a brilliantly schedule. Yes. <laughs> for you fans of like The Flash, <laughs> those are very aggressive shows, and yes, you, you love them. But but aggressive. sometimes they go over those eight days. Yeah. Uh, so you, um, that's tough. Yeah, it is. I I actually don't think that it's sustainable. I know that everybody's running that template right now. Like we ran it, Westworld ran it, Game of Thrones runs it. As much as you think they, like, as pissed off as we are that right. we don't get to watch any more of it for another year, it's like. They're crushing themselves to get that stuff. And I don't, I mean, just from what I've seen, I don't think that it's sustainable. Something's going to have to lengthen or give or 
change. Well, the only way it's even remotely sustainable is is when you're doing shorter orders. You know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, sure. We were only doing ten a season, and it damn near killed us. Yeah. Um, I remember back in the day when I was doing broadcast network television, when I was doing shows like Ugly Betty or. Desperate Housewives or, or Star Trek. I That's like over 20. You did, yeah, Star Trek, I you think did, we were doing 24, 26. You did Enterprise. Enterprise, yeah. yeah. Like three seasons, first three seasons of Enterprise. And, and I think we were doing 24, maybe 26 episodes a season. It That's was, crazy. It was insane. Yeah. It, was, right. it, was, it was brutal in essentially the same amount of time that we took to write and prep and produce and post 10 episodes of Outcast. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, I think it's why people talk about this new golden age of television. I think it's that one of the main reasons why TV is so good is you're you're making a handcrafted product. Yeah. As opposed to punching out widgets on the. You don't have to have the bottle episode to play catch up yeah. on your budget. Well, <laughs> when like, I was doing start when I was doing Enterprise, it was like, and I did a lot of work on the show. I was very proud of. You know, I know it's not the the best regarded of the series. I think some geeks gave us will, will show you some love. Uh, well, we get, thank you. I appreciate that out there. But we, and we do get some love from it. I wrote some episodes I was really proud of. I had a lot of fun with it, and I loved working with that cast. But um, some of those episodes stink. And, <laughs> and I think it... And no one sets out to make a bad episode no. of television. As Vince Gilligan once said, no, people don't understand the worst episode. Well, Vince of Gilligan never has. Like, yeah, that's exactly. the one thing about Vince Gilligan but, is like he never has. But made he has a, bad a quote. Episode. He has a quote that I love, which is like, you know, people don't understand the single worst episode of television you've ever seen in your life was crushingly difficult to make. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And you know, Enterprise was like that. There were there, working there. Sometimes it was like triage. You know, you knew you were in, <laughs> you were in it, and you knew you had a stinker, <laughs> and you're like. And you're tearing your hair out, and you're like, yeah. I just, we just don't have the time to fix it. Right. You know, and it's like, and I'm not proud of it, you know, because all the audience sees is what's they're, they're investing their time into watch on the screen and inviting you into their homes, and it's a betrayal. But there were times where you were just like, look, if this, we, this patient's going to die on the table because yeah. if we don't let it, then the three guys waiting in the, in the waiting room are, are yeah. fucked. Yeah, you know? there might still be hope for them. Exactly. <laughs> but, but when you're only doing 10, you can, you can make them all good, and, right. you know. I, I, and I think I look at the twenty episodes thus far we've produced of Outcast, and there are some that I love better than others. Yeah, but I think they're all good. Yeah. Um, having seen three of season two, I can say that you guys are keeping pace with the with the quality at least. Well, thank awesome. you. Um, how do you? I mean, again, like the question is like, what muscles do you bring to the table from people like Cameron Crowe and uh, David Fincher and like what muscles do you bring to the table and what muscles do you just have to say, you know what, this doesn't apply here. I got to kind of let it rip a little bit, especially when you have guest directors every yeah. week or so. Well, if they were, if they brought some like propers to the table, like if they were prepared to jump into the themes and the existing templates from like the pilot, then they would crush it like right. they would get there and they could take they could take the time to do dolly shots and be creative and and really get things done but as soon as somebody started faltering and was unprepared or uh, wasn't really like wanted to kind of add more of their flavor than belonged in the tone of the show then it would like it would start to spin out and in terms of acting i mean it, it's interesting because i've i've never played a character for 20 hours of content before. It's usually like two hours, 90 minutes, something like that in a film. And um, 
film shoots are also busy and hard, and they can they're like grueling days and everything. But um, television actually moves quick enough, or at least we were moving quick enough on Outcast that each each sort of week or or episode would be its own sort of reset point. So hmm. it's like you kind of have to take the main thread that you're trying to carry through everything, and that's what really creates the most variation in the performance or in your approach to it at least. But then everything else that happens, there's like a baseline to a character, and he's going to react a certain way to certain things, and that's not going to change much. It's modified by his overall progress, of course, but uh, keeping track of that was important in terms of like musculature it was it was more geared towards endurance and bearing the large picture in mind like the finish line is much farther away right uh where in film everything is very explosive like you need to capture everything immediately and yeah and it's out of sequence it. yeah. and here only the episodes are themselves are yeah. shot out of sequence here you can actually build the character over the level yeah. uh, over the season absolutely unless you guys are i mean you guys are shooting one through ten in sequence mm-hmm. right yeah, yeah. so um, the the show's been out a year in England. I found out. Yeah, like how? What's the response? Yeah, as far as season two, Geekscapist. So don't go hacking. All right, you Geekscapist who are in England, you're lucky. Okay, you've already probably seen all ten episodes. Uh, those of you who are not in England, don't start pulling your illegal stuff. All right, you, yeah, internet, no, no bit internet trolls, please. <laughs> <laughs> you're taking food, you're taking money out of their pockets when you do that. We're trying to support them. Um, well, how was the me- response? Well, it's oh, funny you should mention. Yeah. No, that we were in the first season of the show. You know, uh, Cinemax and the the student network. Everyone was incredibly supportive of the show. Um, and one of the things we discovered, because not a lot of people subscribed to Cinemax mm-hmm. at the time, not nearly as many as you know, an HBO or you know, or Showtime, that. We were, I think, the second most pirated show on BitTorrent after oh. Game of Thrones. Which, on the one hand, we were like incredibly flattered. Like they're, there was like they're seeing our work. They're, they're, people are seeing yeah. it, and there's a hunger for it and yeah. a desire to see it. But we were like, how do we monetize that? Yeah. It's like people <laughs> are not subscribing to Cinemax to watch that. the show. Yeah, yeah we need all you people to have Cinemax subscriptions. Well, I was explaining to somebody the other day, like. Um, Again, speaking of Vince Gilligan, you had those first three seasons of Breaking Bad, and then that for those three seasons, that show was always kind of on the fence about fighting some level of cancellation. And it wasn't until they had to, they had that strike or whatever it was that, that hiatus mm-hmm. that people started catching up, maybe on BitTorrent, but mainly on places like Netflix. Right. Well, it built well, that fan also, base, and you guys get that year here with season two. Hopefully, people have caught up and so. they they can jump in on this thing on July twentieth. Yeah. I think so, and it is on iTunes now, and that was part mm-hmm. of the problem too. Was you know, accessibility. Is accessibility, yeah. Cinemax at the time, who was in, incredibly supportive of the show and excited about the show and excited about working with all of us and having the new show from the creator of The Walking Dead, but they were a you know a subscription based premium cable service that did not. You couldn't see the show at the right. time on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or exactly. iTunes, you know, which really limited the number of eyeballs that we we could get on it, which Mm -hmm. was frustrating for us because they were going for an audience, a younger audience, a, 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 you know, a comic book reading Kirkman audience who not only didn't subscribe to premium cable services, didn't even have cable, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and they, a lot of us have cut the cord. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it was frustrating despite all the support that we were getting from them, that their business model didn't allow 
people to watch the show on the platforms that they had access to. Yeah. And yeah. they did have it on their own, you know, Max Go or whatever yeah. it was called, but you had to have a Cin- Cinemax subscription to, to get it. Is there a, a sense of, like, stepbrother syndrome with Cinemax and HBO? When you, when, when, not, that, not that there's anything wrong with being on Cinemax, but HBO has been established. I you were saying not that there's anything wrong there, with being a stepbrother. No, no, but, but you, you know what I mean? Like, like, like there's almost like, how do you fix that visibility problem? I think, well, I think... And I don't think this is Cinemax's fault. I think Cinemax and, and the executives at Cinemax. Well, this show is evidence that they're doing things yes, to get this. They had this a, 2.0 or whatever you this this renaissance yes, going. Yes, a hundred percent. And they had a very ambitious and laudable plan mm-hmm. to to turn Cinemax into a, a, a sort of HBO Junior, kind of retaining its sort of pulpy Cinemax's sort of pulpy identity. Right. I think Banshee was a good example of that. You know where it was. It was a little more lurid and pulpy and sexy and violent than than you might see on other networks. But still, you know, well written quality program. They had the Nick, which was a Steven Soderbergh show. They had this Vietnam War era drama called Quarry, which was very well regarded. They had us. They were really trying to move it in that direction. But you know, HBO was a real network. I mean, they had sports and boxing and concerts and comedy and Game of Thrones and. Bill Maher and John Hall. I mean, they had a, it was a sure. there was a whole lineup of programming. You know, Cinemax had two or three shows. It didn't feel like a destination. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yet it didn't. Yet, yet. yet right. and it was hard, I think, to convince people to pony up the money for it when yeah. they didn't at the time see as much value in it. Even right. even HBO's Go accessibility, ahead, even HBO's accessibility model is sort of like still kind of needs catching up. It's like I remember. I didn't want to get cable, and I didn't want to like just get all of cable to pay for just HBO to watch Game of Thrones. Right, and so like I I ended up getting it how I could off of like another subscription or something like that. I think like Amazon Prime. If you get Amazon Prime, you can order your HBO Go through nowadays. There. So, yeah, yeah, nowadays. But then, but you still have to pay an additional fee for it. Yeah. Right. Now and then, finally, you you get like the accessibility through the application and stuff, and that is awesome. Little little bit behind everybody else doing that already but um i mean that's like clearly where things have got to be going it's like if you have something that's really awesome content that people want to see especially you know younger people who are ingesting content in like a a a new way um it's like more awesome to be part of that so a couple of questions, Pat, about, about Pat. Can I call you Pat? No, I sure. can't call you Pat. Your name is Patrick. <laughs> Let's be respectful, okay? And the next thing you know, you're going to start calling. What was, the, what was, what was it? Frugal. Frugal. You start calling you Frugal. You're like, I've never saved a dime in my life. <laughs> so, so Mr. Frugal, please. You have to call, uh, call him number one. Number one. Number one on the call. Um, so much of what you're doing on this show is, uh, is working with things that aren't there. You know, when you start to exercise people, the, the, the black s- smoke and the goop starts coming out of them. Yeah. And you start, um, where do you even go to track things? I mean, is a director talking through those sequences? Are you, is it pre-rehearsed? That would be nice. Does that make sense? Like, like, because I'm guessing for sound, they're not. And so you're, you're kind of pre-rehearsing your eyeline for this. Whenever, Geekscape is going to and watch the show. First shame on you. Second, Whenever Patrick is exercising a demon uh, or, uh, you know, this possession, beyond, con- like, their body's contorting, this almost black ooze that eventually turns into green slime, ectoplasm stuff starts coming out of their mouths or yeah. holes, and it's trying to get back into their body. So if you have cuts, 
and you see this in, in season two, and it's a great scene with the little kid, no spoilers. Uh, you, ha- you see somebody who's been injured getting uh, exercise, and everyone in the room has to go and start covering up their cuts because yeah. the oh, thing just, yeah. just yeah. starts coming. Cool you know, the, 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 yeah. It's so awesome. And, um, in, in in, total oh pain God. in the ass because everyone almost has to be like A, B, and yeah. now C, and now D go, and C, okay. Well, and, and your eyeline's like, exactly how it was. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So sort of call, yeah. It out. call it out. Like, okay, now it's going into the, yeah. the head wound and the arm wound. Like, like for oh, yeah. like, what do you yeah. do, pre-rehearse that? That one, you... that one would have been nice if we had some more time to pre-rehearse. That <laughs> right. one was sort of like, TV. we were behind the curve going like, okay, wait, 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 wait. We're not seeing half of this stuff. We're like, we're like, okay, hold on. Camera's going to do this, which means you do this, and da 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 da, da. and then we would call it out sequentially. Mm-hmm. So we got around to it, but there was like episode one with Joshua. Like Adam had tons of time to plan that. There was rehearsal. We sure. shot that se- sequence over two or three days or something like that. And so on a stage, you built the on a stage, yeah, room. yeah. So we we they you know they had a uh, fucking. I mean, the junkyard was a location. Yeah. Yeah. So it's tight. Tight little location in the middle of the night. Um, But yeah, anyway, it's like, it kind of depended on the episode, like where we were in space and time with ourselves, like if we could really do it. There's some, I think it's episode uh, where Kyle exercises, uh, who does Abraham play? The the Uh, Caleb. Caleb, Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, when he exercises Caleb, like we, yeah, we ran the fuck out of time that day. Really? And so it was like this rush thing at the end where they were like, okay, we're just going to set the camera up. And then we were like pushing it on me. And it was like, okay, the ooze is going here. And I was like, this is a David Blaine. (laughs) And I kept on, you were there. At that point, you're kind of And I was so (laughs) mad at you because I was like, you guys are making me look like fucking Chris Angel right now, but like not good at his job. And then you saw the episode, right? Yes. And it's fine, right? Did you know it was going to be fine? Yes. Chris, did you know it was going to be fine? You just don't trust me. You would never trust me. I would always tell you it's going to be fine. That's not true. I trust Chris over everybody. Probably more than he needed. He should have. Yeah. Some point. So, uh, I let him down a couple times. Geeks, <laughs> Geeks Abus, if you guys don't know this, uh, Brent Spiner, you all know from uh, as Data from, from Star Trek Next Generation, uh, plays kind of the big bad. Wait, or, he was on Star Trek? <laughs> uh, he he uh, is... Arguably the big bad of the series as things start to unravel. Maybe maybe other things are going. No spoilers, but um, he's pretty much the big bad. He's yeah. pretty much the big bad uh, for a bit. Um, but you don't get a whole lot of scenes with him. I mean, were you a Trek fan or anybody? When you see that he's on the, the list, you're like, whoa, was that big for you? Because I think when I when I noticed that he was cast and I knew the character from the comics and he is the big bad, I was like, Brent Spiner. Let's see how menacing he can get, and he's yeah. great. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the things we loved about casting him was it, it, it was against type. It's one of those holy crap. Is that Brent Spiner? Yeah. yeah. And I think he loved. I think that was one of the things he loved about it was that he wasn't. You know, he he's so recognizable, and you go anywhere in public with him, it's crazy. Oh it's yeah. Like people are just drawn to him. They just they just love him, and they love that character. And they're, you know, he's so recognizable as the you know the. Pinocchio, the boy who, you know, the puppet who wanted to be a real boy yeah. in Star Trek, and he's so charming and lovable and, uh, you know, guileless is that character that I think he really relished turning in uh, this kind of diabolical performance of yeah. being this guy who does these just truly despicable 
It still has that level of reservation that your show has. I mean, his performance itself has that level of reservation, and then it just builds to a point where you're like, holy crap, it just... Well, we had a lot of conversations about that because it was it was funny. He we tried in the show. It's based on a comic book. Sure, of course. But we tried in the show to make the world feel as real and authentic and grounded as possible. And it looks great and it feels awesome. And Brent, Sydney's character is probably the only character in and I'm not saying comic book in, in any way in a pejorative term, but he's the only character in the show that feels like a comic book. Well, it's like yeah. the devil comes to town. You exactly. know what I mean? Like it's the devil who comes From to town. From the way he dresses, yeah. the black suit. I can't tell you the endless conversations we had about his hat. About <laughs> and hat so great. it was the hat is great. And it was it was so important to Robert that it's kind of a signature piece of that yeah. that person's look of mm-hmm. Sydney's look in the show. Um, Brent loved the hat. Brent brought his own hat. He loved the hat. He loved just putting on that suit and becoming that character. Um, But there were some people associated with the show that just hated it, that hated that he sort of stood out in this, you know, rural, downtrodden West Virginia town. But you still need some level of iconography to hold on to. You know what I mean? Like, like it's still still dramatic television. Which is why Robert and the rest of us really stuck to our guns and said, no, this is this this character. This is this... He is literally the black hat. That's Mm -hmm. who this guy is. Yeah, it's a Stephen King character that's coming to this terrible town. Yeah, totally. It's like Storm of the Century. He's like, you know, he's he's the... He is supposed to be, and Robert stressed this over and over again, People are supposed to believe that this man is the devil incarnate, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and he needs to present as that, you right. know, and, and he was great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But um, you did, uh, Patrick can speak to his, uh, he did, one, one of my favorite episodes from the first season is, I believe it's number eight, which yeah. is the one where you where find out his past. You find out his backstory. So cool. And then it also has uh, the great, the first real confrontation between Kyle and Sydney yeah. in the in the jail cell. And But they do have, I think they, you have more scenes together in the second Oh, season. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... Which I, I haven't gotten to. So Geekscape is like July 20th, watch the show. Are, are we going to batch them? Is it 10 straight weeks or is there going to be a... a, a I think it's ten straight weeks. I'm actually okay. not sure. Okay, but I think they're going to just run them. Around. You'll find out July twentieth. <laughs> <laughs> and they are going to. And if you have, and if you do, if you do have Cinemax or access to Cinemax, I believe they're also going to rerun the whole first season mm-hmm. as a, a run up to it. So. Enjoy that. Yeah, like, please. Um, yeah, I remember. I remember we we had started filming on the pilot, and we and I asked you, I was like, so who's who's playing Sydney? And you were like, oh, well, we're actually not sure yet. Just give like, we had data. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, he was like, well, we have, you know. It was the last part we cast. Yeah, he was like, we have, we have, you know, this actor. We're looking at this actor. We're looking at Brent Spiner. And I was like, hold up. I was like, why haven't you guys just got Brent Spiner out here yet? Like, why isn't that just happening? Why isn't he on the plane? And because uh, and, and, I grew up watching Star Trek. Right. And I've rewatched Star Trek twice. <laughs> All the way through Next Generation, since being like old enough to really be able to appreciate the, the like, it gets better every time you you watch it. Every couple of years when you watch it, it it you appreciate them in a different way. It gets so yeah. it's so good, so good. Some of my favorite storytelling. Um, sorry, uh, but, uh, you never have to apologize. We're talking about Enterprise, right? Generation. We're talking about Enterprise, yes, right? Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and one of the reasons was that I love Data so much is because he is the like the the Pinocchio kind of archetype. But he, 
it, that's a really hard acting challenge. Like it actually takes a specific type of skill set to play the machine that has a soul right. and still be relatable enough to like be believable as a machine, but also, you know, right. empathize you, with the soul in the it. Humanity. Like, yeah. Geek, Geekscape is appreciated whenever like a, like the 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 act of breathing is such a big character piece to actors that um, that having a character that can't actually breathe yeah. removes a major tool set. Yeah. Huge tool set. Huge. And, and uh, yeah, breathing, uh, emotional reaction, all of that. But it's like it's very emotional watching data go through things because of great writing and great performance. And as in, in addition to that, you know, Brent gets to play Lore and also gets to play Nunyan Soon and gets to play like Shakespeare roles and gets to play uh, Sherlock Holmes. It's like data is constantly persona shifting or malfunctioning. So right. then it's right. like then it's like you have to filter da- data through this malfunction and then something else happens and it's re- either really menacing or really touching or something like that. And that's all like I saw that as a kid and I was like that's that's like really cool. You it's always like, wanted to be an actor. I know there's a famous yeah. story of Cameron Crowe just picking you out of are, you know what I mean? But yeah. but you always wanted to be an actor. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, since a, I, I grew up, uh, my mom is a ballet teacher. My dad was a, an electrician for the ballet company. Sure. And so I was surrounded by performance very young. And I really, uh, I, my mom had all of us kids taking ballet. And the the structure and the the dance didn't really um, appeal to me as much as the like you, you storytelling. Think that's why the gym teacher didn't like you because yeah. you were the ballet dancer. Hey, frugal, you're being frugal with your movements. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, su- it certainly could have been a. Uh, well, that's actually funny because Woody one day, um, <laughs> oh, one day the jocks were giving me shit for being a ballerina. You know. And you know Van Damme was a ballerina. Oh yeah, and he just kicked him in the face. I knew that because I was like, "Did you guys know Van Damme was a ballerina?" <laughs> and then um, Woody was like, uh, "I wish I knew his real name because this is actually a very nice story. The okay. other one was not nice, but okay. this one was nice." He was like, "You guys don't know what you're talking about." He's like, "We send football players to ballet class to get better for their footwork." And he's yeah. like, "And I think I'm going to have to send you guys to ballet class now." And they were like, no, we're not going ballet. He's like, you'll be better football players. He's like, if you don't take ballet, you're off the team. That kind of thing. So leave Frugal alone. Yeah, leave Frugal alone. Leave Fudget alone. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I I remember we did a a, a, a career day survey thing in like fourth or fifth grade. You know those things where they're like, pick a profession. Where would you go to college to learn it? And pick a backup profession. I just put actor. And then I was like, I don't really know what to put. And they were like, Patrick, you have to do the exercise. Like, you should choose a backup profession. I was like, but I'm going to be an actor. And then they were like, okay, well, you're going to need to go to school for that, right? I was like, no, I think I'll need to get in movies for that. And they were like, well, I don't think that's how it works. Why don't you choose, like, firemen or something? I was like, that would be awesome, but I want to be an actor. And, um, And that was, like, early on. Also, I had a best friend who was, like, had the same same sure. interests in and that sort of fireman. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They are now firemen. Yes. <laughs> um, I wish I had more time with you, uh, Patrick. We have a couple of geekscapists who are asking, like, they want John Leguizamo stories from Spawn. Oh or, like, I know we got to have you. Like, we we got to have you in the studio to like get, really get into the weeds, yeah. guys. Like, we barely let's make it. I happen. mean, this has been a very outcast centric, but like, we should have you guys in the studio to talk 
in the weeds about stuff like Matt Kelly, one of our loyalists, will, like, he's like, just ask him anything about wrist cutters, which I think is a great, yes. pretty awesome movie. Yes. Overlooked Escapist, definitely recommend it. Shannon Sossaman yeah. and you, like, in an almost... Shea Wiggum. In, like, an afterlife road trip. Yeah. That is just a pretty awesome, trippy indie. Yeah. Um, and we could talk about, like, You Weren't Saved? Yeah. And like, that, <laughs> like that, that in itself is just a fun... Especially now that everything in our country is kind of shifting yeah. red-blue. Like, it seems like that is a great movie to watch again. It's kind of, yeah, applicable. Um, yeah. So, like, if you get anything from this Geeks Cavus... July 20th, you're going to be watching Outcast Season 2. Hopefully you'll have already caught up on iTunes or otherwise legally on Outcast Season 1. <laughs> um, and, we, and like Chris and Pat, like, thanks for coming on the show and talking about the, the show. I, I passionately love the show. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having us. We're really thrilled. It's awesome. Um, what do we need to do to get a Season 3 going? You have ideas for through a Season 3. You and Robert have ideas for a Season 3? You need to ask about that one. <laughs> Look, we would nothing would make us happier, you know. I mean, the story there's more story to tell, you know. And mm-hmm. I think the only thing that's going to get keep the show going is is you know more eyeballs. You right. know? Like if they see that that it catches a, a second wind in the second season after this long hiatus as part of sort of Cinemax's new lineup, you know, then we'll we'll, we'll get a chance to go on. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it is a business, you know, and they need sure. to see they have a. Yeah. A product that works for them, and you know we're very proud of the work. Would love to keep doing it, and the more people that can watch it and prove to them that we have something worth watching would be great. Yeah. Well, Geekscapers, I'm uh, I've already told you, and I'm not just making stuff up. This you know this is a product I truly, truly, truly believe in. Um, you got your homework. Go and do it, Patrick. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. <laughs> thank dude. you. Thank All you right. very much.